recording. Hello, listeners, wherever you are. You're listening to Fix This Flick, a podcast where two millennials, incapable of looking up from their phones, deconstruct your favorite films and tell you how we'd make them better. I'm your host, Ali, and joining me for this episode is a very special guest, my brother Anis. Hey everyone, so I'm glad to be on this podcast. I've been listening for a while. I did enjoy the last podcast, that was about Whiplash. Oh yeah? I did like J.K. Simmons and the ending. The thing is, I did agree with a lot of your points, that the ramping up of intensity was a little too much. And yeah, I'd say it's a too long of a movie, could have been a short. Yeah, for sure. And I really wanted to have you on because watching movies was a big part of our childhood. And it's been a passion of ours for pretty much our entire lives. And yeah, I'd say we have the same taste movies no yeah more or less so you tend to like the pretentious independent overly long movies uh, a little more than me things like dr Zhivago that i would just want to slip my wrists or fall asleep uh, watching but for the most part we tend to be on the same page i remember dude where's my car you know that trash ashton kutcher stoner comedy was one of your favorite movies has that changed by any chance well, that was maybe one of my favorite movies when I was a teenager. So, so things you, have changed. Since so then. you finally seen the light and realize it for the abomination that it is. You kind of have to accept it for the kind of movie it is to enjoy it, I would say. Weren't there any movies you'd be embarrassed to admit you liked? Sure, yeah. I can, I can think of a few. The scary movie movies are pretty bad. I used to love those. Independence Day, Garden State, that one's pretty embarrassing. I don't know if you ever saw that. I hope you don't still like Sex Drive, do you? Again, that's a movie that's enjoyable with <laughs> certain expectations of it. I wouldn't say I'd watch it now again, though. One, definitely one of those switch-your-brain-off movies, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've been talking about doing something for a while, and we kind of went back and forth this summer on which movie you wanted to do together. Yeah, I think we settled on a pretty good one. I've got quite a few notes a lot of it's not good stuff. Yeah, written notes too. Yeah, a few pages. A lot of it's just questions, I would say, because a lot of the movie made no sense when you thought about it a little too much. That's totally true. And like a lot of those questions we'll probably never get answers for, but such is life. So yeah, for this episode, we'll attempt to fix Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. Can you see by the dawn's early You are as precious to me as you were to your own mother and father. I swore to them that I would protect you, and I haven't. The mayor's gonna dump him in the spring. Really? Mm-hmm. But he's a hero, a war hero. This is peacetime. You think this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches. Because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. Dark Knight Rises is the final chapter of Christopher Nolan's revered trilogy of Batman films. It takes place eight years after the events of The Dark Knight. Bruce Wayne, played by Christian Bale, is a recluse, a man heartbroken by the loss of the love of his life, 
and literally broken by his attempts to save Gotham City from the Joker. But while his sacrifices have brought a temporary peace, threats old and new resurface from the shadows. But this time, Batman might have to make the ultimate sacrifice to save his city. The Dark Knight Rises was the highly anticipated sequel to The Dark Knight, considered by many to be one of the greatest movies of all time, mainly due to the performance of Heath Ledger as the Joker. And while The Dark Knight Rises didn't receive anywhere near the same level of acclaim as The Dark Knight, it was a huge blockbuster, the third highest grossing movie of 2012. And the general consensus was that while it didn't hit the highs of its predecessor, it was a satisfactory conclusion to a great trilogy. And this is where things kind of get a bit tough for both of us, because we're, we're both Christopher Nolan fans, that's fair to say, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially his older stuff. Yeah, same here. Like Memento, The Prestige... The Inception as well, but I'll admit that I've been disappointed in pretty much every movie he's done since Inception. Interstellar, which we talked about maybe covering in a future episode, was one of the most disappointing experiences in a movie theater I've ever had. Uh, I came in with really high expectations, so maybe it was my fault. But maybe we'll go in depth on that at some you know, later point. The thing with Nolan movies is, for all his good movies, all the good ambition, idea, symbolism, they do have recurring weaknesses. And as much as I liked uh, The Dark Knight Rises, it does show a lot of those weaknesses. It really does, sadly. It's very true. So we'll talk about what worked for us in The Dark Knight Rises, so it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, We'll talk about what didn't work and see if we can come up with ideas about what would redeem the movie, or at the very least make it better. And at the end, we'll pass our final judgment on whether the movie's fixable or damaged beyond repair. Yep, and of course, before we get started, spoiler alert from here on out. So I've seen The Dark Knight Rises a few times, and what always really kind of impresses me about it, but also overwhelms me, is just how much this movie tries to do and tries to cover. So it, it was the culmination of the trilogy, so it, it was trying to finish what the first two Nolan movies did. So the, there was Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, and it has plenty of themes, you know, darkness and light, uh, you know, the rich versus the poor, the truth coming to the surface versus lies to serve, you know, noble ends, humanity's capacity for creation and destruction at the same time. And it really just hits you with all of that. It's, it is a long movie. And yet, it to me, watching it this time, it felt like the running time didn't do all those things justice. Uh, yeah, I would agree. They weren't able to fully flesh on a lot of the themes that they were trying to bring to light. A lot of them were just one-off mentions or never really get a conclusion, at least a satisfying conclusion, I would say. Yeah, and I would say the movie was a little long too, like they could have put in something more satisfying in there, but they just didn't seem to. The movie just kind of throws you into the deep end right from the beginning. And you were talking earlier before we started recording about how if you're someone who hadn't seen the previous movies, it's kind of bewildering because you're just thrown into this Gotham that's eight years after the events of The Dark Knight. There's no more crime really on the streets. There's a new act, the Harvey Dent Act, which was made to basically imprison people who were involved in organized crime. It was kind of unclear what it was exactly. And because of that, you know, the police are getting fat and lazy and there's this looming threat that's not being talked about but it's getting bigger and bigger and you see bruce wayne he's hiding in his mansion and then you know things kind of just get kick-started from there and the movie doesn't stop to take a breath after that yeah totally it even starts out with what i would consider a jarring plane heist scene and it just keeps jumping from one jarring scene to another I thought definitely wouldn't work as a standalone. You'd have to know quite a bit about the background and where the story started. The way I kind of described it, just like to other people, was it's like a roller coaster. So you're just going through this really high-paced roller coaster and there's tons of sights and attractions and things happening on the side, but you're not really lingering on any of them. And that that's actually a common thing in a lot of big blockbuster Hollywood movies nowadays I can think of the new Star Wars movies as as examples of the most egregious offenders of that but pretty much any Marvel movie or any you know just big movie does that even the more recent DC ones are all guilty of that and the thing about that is that it makes you not notice the little 
I wouldn't use the word imperfections really, but just plot holes and things that just don't make sense because you're just going from here to here to here to, to yeah, there. Yeah, 100%. I don't know if they did that intentionally so you wouldn't notice all the little plot holes. It's hard to tell, yeah. It's hard to tell if it was on purpose or not. There are a ton of little plot holes and it's easy not to notice them on a first watch because you're just constantly being swept by all the action and everything that's happening. But I felt as soon as you spend a few seconds thinking about what just happened, the whole thing kind of starts to unravel. Yeah, yeah. It's like a sensory overload in a way. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that, a that, distraction that... tactic, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you can give them that much credit. What I felt like as well of this movie was that it was kind of rushed because I feel like some of the plot holes in this movie, if you just think about it for a second, it clearly came from just convenience and yeah. wanting to get things done. Yeah. The intro that you talked about. So Plane Heist, what I was thinking when I was watching it was they clearly thought, okay, we had that big heist opener to the Dark Knight and we have to do something to top it. And that's kind of what the problem of this movie is. Everything it's done is a reflection of how we have to top what was done before. Yeah, I think so. Also, it gave some good shots for a trailer. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, that's always that's always important nowadays. Oh yeah, I I remember actually that there was a lot of talk about how Christopher Nolan was going to shoot some IMAX footage for this movie, particularly in the intro, and I think that's kind of where I noticed that Christopher Nolan has changed in recent years, where he's more focused on like the, the spectacle, the spectacle maybe. Yeah, yeah, than grounding his movies in a simple, straightforward story. That's why it's frustrating because. I mean, I talked about Star Wars and some of the Marvel movies and all that. And the difference I feel like with these Batman films, so the Christopher Nolan Batman films, is that clearly that there was a lot of time and effort put into the characters and the story and what what everything was supposed to symbolize and what themes were being explored. It's just, to me, it felt so rushed. So you go from this introductory scene where we meet bane and and then we go to gotham and then we we're introduced to catwoman and then we're introduced to this rookie cop and we're introduced to all of these characters the rookie cop turns out to be robin spoiler and then we're also dealing with the trauma that bruce wayne has and alfred's feelings about it and this is all hitting you one scene after another boom 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 yeah Precise. Yeah. So kind of a big fix to suggest like early on here, but I was initially thinking at looking at the example of something like the the more recent DC movie, the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Right. Very simplified storyline, very clear arc of a character's just descent into madness. And I thought that maybe this was something that Christopher Nolan could have done more with The Dark Knight Rises, even though it's supposed to be an action movie, but just this grounded in something more simpler, more simple and less spectacle driven. But I realized that, you know, this this had to be a big commercial action movie. It had to top the last two movies and it had to close out all the themes and it had to end with, you know, an all or nothing city at stake kind of big conclusion, which for some reason that's always the case with these movies. And so I respect that Christopher Nolan was working with all of these, you know, expectations. And I thought maybe this should have been split into two movies. What do you think of that? I don't know if that would have fixed it. I can understand your point, though. It would have allowed them to flesh things out a little bit more. But just from previous movies or franchise movies that have done that, like The Hobbit, Harry Potter, it didn't really seem to improve the quality of those movies. I think the the issue with it is, and you sort of mentioned this already, that the focus now even from audiences, is more on the spectacle than on good dialogue or coherent storyline. And again, it's kind of the same thing you were talking about with Whiplash. Once you start by raising the tempo, you have to keep taking it higher, higher to the next level. And I think that's basically what happened with this movie. They had to keep taking it higher and higher. And it came at the cost of, in my opinion, its quality. I think where the differences with me with this one is that I can think of just an example that comes to mind is probably the Harry Potter movies. So they ended the last one as a two-parter. There wasn't enough content to justify doing what they did. And I think The Dark Knight Rises has the opposite problem where you have so much content. Too much content. So you have Bruce Wayne and he's going through this trauma of losing the love of his life. And he kind of has stopped believing in what he wants to do because he doesn't want to live anymore but he still cares about the city that he's kind of neglected while he's been in hiding. So you have that. 
Then you have the rookie cop, or young cop, I don't know if he's a rookie, Robin character, who's also an orphan. He's kind of always known that Bruce Wayne is Batman because they kind of share this common background of being orphans and, they, you know, having to play the role of fitting into society and hide, hiding the anger. And then you have Catwoman who grew up poor and underprivileged and just kind of wants to have a clean start, an escape from her past criminal life. And then you have the villains... And then you have Alfred, then you have Gordon. Gordon, who it's kind of mentioned very quickly that his wife and kids left him. Yeah, it's mentioned like in <laughs> passing. Like, in oh passing. yeah, his wife left him. Yeah. So uh, so I would say that's a whole bunch of very important characters that the movie doesn't spend much time with. Like you get that one scene and then it's moved moving on. Yeah. And there, there was so much there that I think that uh, I was thinking of where you would end the movie. So this is jumping a bit ahead. So what happens is that Batman eventually gets this big confrontation with Bane. And this is a confrontation that Alfred was worried was going to happen because Bane is, you know, driven by the power of belief. And Batman doesn't really believe as strongly as he once did. And so Bane breaks Batman's back. And he sends him to this prison on the other side of the world where he can just watch Gotham City get destroyed. And I figured that's a good place to end the movie because then you have that tension building, building, building. And then it ends where the villains are winning, kind of like an Empire Strikes Back kind of thing. Yeah, you and have a good cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. There. And and then you spend the next movie more time with, with Bruce Wayne in this prison. Maybe you can have like a prologue where you spend time learning more about the villains like the villains upbringing because bane appears to be the villain the one who grew up in this prison that he sends bruce wayne to but what ends up being revealed is that it was actually the daughter of russell ghoul who's the villain played by liam neeson in the first batman movie batman begins and i feel like we could have had like a good 15 20 minute short where we just spend time with talia being raised by her mother and going through this life where we really understand the kind of life of deprivation she had and what really drives her in escaping the prison and becoming who she is and it all could be done in a way in which you can keep the twist that that was actually not bane but it was the girl by you know just keeping the kid with short hair or whatever keeping them appear genderless i guess yeah and then you just have more time to spend with the characters in, in both movies. So you have four and a half hours or five hours to work with instead of two and a half. Have I swayed you at all? <laughs> I mean, no, I think in theory, you're right. Like that would work out. I just haven't seen it happen in practice, which makes me cynical that that would fix the movie. It would, I feel like if they did it in two movies, they'd probably blow it up with more spectacles. And we already have too many of them. I can't disagree with your cynicism. It's <laughs> it's hard to not be cynical about big Hollywood movies nowadays. It really is. And the thing that's the problem with The Dark Knight Rises too, just like as a general overarching issue, is that a lot of it rings hollow because we talked about the themes that it's exploring. Bruce Wayne is struggling with, he's lost the love of his life. He doesn't know if there's anything worth fighting for in the society anymore because he doesn't trust other people pretty much he doesn't trust other people to want to do the right thing so his company spends almost well it's hinted that it's almost bankrupts itself investing in this clean energy technology that would make us not dependent on fossil fuel anymore but once he finds out that it can be used as a weapon like a very destructive weapon he shuts the whole project down because he just doesn't trust other people so he's he's struggling with this and other themes the dark knight it ends with this theme of sometimes it's better to cover up the truth and sacrifice yourself. And this was done by Bruce Wayne, Batman, to not reveal the horrible person that Harvey Dent became. Like he's driven by madness and becomes a killer. And so this movie is also trying to rectify that by letting the truth come to light, not burying things in the shadows anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the themes I'd say I really liked about Me this too. movie. Yeah. That they built this piece based on a lie. And the lie came back to haunt them, came back, I guess, both in the form of Bane and both in the form of the lie being exposed. Yeah. That their piece was based on someone who did some horrible things, who was called a martyr or a hero, when the actual hero was pinned for it and gets into trouble with the law in this movie oh yeah uh, so th so there's a scene where earlier on so this is when we first see batman return because he finds out about the threat of bane and there's this big heist at, what, stock at the stock exchange. exchange which is another one of the themes of the movie of 
the rich elites who kind of just take advantage of the system and betting with people's lives and livelihoods. And that's when Bane and his men, who I notice actually, they all pretend to be these low-skill labor workers. So one's a janitor and one's a delivery worker and all right. that. So it's kind of like showing the underclass coming to rip the security away from these rich elites. Because Batman's been in hiding and everybody thinks he's the criminal, the big criminal of, of the century or whatever, all the cops go after yes. him. Yes. One of many very stupid cop decisions that happen in this movie is when Bane is escaping the heist scene and all the cops are after him and Batman makes his big reveal I guess I don't know if he was trying to, try to be he, he was trying to stop the he, heist he was trying to stop Bane yeah but as soon as he showed up the cops suddenly decide okay drop everything all of you go on to Batman and Bane literally just drives between them just escapes and you couldn't put one or two cop cars on Bane. <laughs> you couldn't do that. You had to send all of them after Batman. Yeah, that, that's actually a great example of what happens when you try to have this really symbolic way of telling your story. Because the, sim the symbolism there is that Batman has become this vision of what evil is for all the Gotham police and for the city as a whole. And so it's represented by it literally distracting from... Actual crime. From the I actual guess. crime. I guess. Actual threat. I would like to think no properly functioning police department would ever life, just yeah. do that. They would keep following both of them. Well, so that's that's the thing. The plot isn't structured in a way in which it grounds itself in real characters and real situations. It's always dealing with this very symbolic surface level exploration of the themes that it wants to explore instead yes. of really gr grounding them in the characters. Yeah. And it's like so you frustrating. said, it's not very organic either. You explained why this, they did that. It just defies logic. You, you wouldn't logically think they would do it, but the plot kind of needed it to happen to highlight that theme. That's a, that's a great way of looking at it. It's not a story that or characters that are informing what will happen next in the plot. It's just the plot wants this to happen. This is where we need to have the big Batman reveal. Yes. And we want this theme to come across. And then we want this to happen and this to happen. Yes, and, and the problem problem of trying to shoehorn all these themes in is you get inconsistencies like this and you get these kinds of plot holes that, I don't know if I'm getting too ahead of myself, kind of... Which Well, which plot hole are you going to talk about here? Well, there's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of examples where things just kind of happen because they need to or because they want to really push a certain theme. We talked about, like, should we get really nitpicky about this movie because... We talked about some of the big issues and big f potential fixes, but I mean, there's things that just don't make sense that happen throughout this movie to kind of connect one scene to another. Actually, to just kind of explain to you what we mean by the nonsensical things that we could nitpick, we could talk a little bit about what the master plan of the villains is in this movie. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. Can you just try and explain to me? What is it? Beginning to end, what is this plan? So it started with stealing Bruce Wayne's fingerprints. So that was what Cat Catwoman was doing in the beginning of the movie. She was yes. trying to steal the fingerprints. Okay. But making it seem like she was actually robbing him. But no, it was yeah. all about the fingerprints. But Bruce Wayne picked up on that right away. She's stealing the fingerprints so they could bankrupt him by... What was it selling? By by making having... very risky and ill-advised yes, yeah, trades. trades to bankrupt him. So that's why they did the stock exchange heist. Yes. And then that was going to get him to give the clean energy program over to Talia somehow. I don't know how they knew he would give it to Talia. It was going at that time by Miranda. She was one Miranda of the, Tate. Miranda yeah. Tate. One of his board members? Was she one of the board members? It's like, unclear. She she she's some sort of investor who's also interested in clean technology and she becomes involved with Bruce Wayne's company. Right. She was really enthusiastic about the project and couldn't understand why it was shelved and she she's an adamant believer in it. And so I guess the plan was that him losing control of his company would, would make him want to entrust the clean energy project to, to her. her. And no one else that he's in contact with. I don't know if he was in contact with anyone else. But I would say that's the first major leap of faith in, in, this, uh, plan. in this plan. How did they know he would give it to her? 
how they know he wouldn't just destroy or pull the plug on the whole thing. Okay, so what's the next step of the master plan after that? So he gives the project to her. Yeah. And she's pretending to be on his side. Yeah. And then they have the kidnapped Russian scientist who... <laughs> Wait, <laughs> which kidnapped Russian scientist? The kidnapped Russian scientist from the first scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> from the plane hijack heist thing, who apparently is able to turn this new technology into a nuclear bomb in five minutes yeah he's the, he's the only nuclear physicist in the world who's capable of doing that it's explained to us yes, later on and he can do it in record time as well apparently all he has to do is roll up his sleeves and he just turns his core into a nuclear bomb and then the next part of the plan is to mislead the people into thinking that they're there as liberators and that they're returning the city to them. Yeah, to take them away from the oppression of the rich elites. Yes, but, but really, <laughs> they just want to blow up the whole city. Yeah, and they take they take over the city to do that as well. So here's the next big part of the plan. So they strategically blow up. <laughs> I yes, can't even, oh, yes. I can't even figure there's, out how to explain this there's part. There's the Daggett part of the plan. We okay, kind of okay who's, who's Daggett? So Daggett is one of the board members of Wayne Enterprises. Yeah. His motivation, which he just outright blurts out to us, yeah. <laughs> is that he's trying to take over the company. Because he's just greedy. That's his he's, motivation. Yes, he's a greedy corporate yeah, he's, asshole. He's a greedy businessman. Yes. Bane has him putting concrete laced with dynamite or TNT or, or some something, kind of whatever, some kind of explosive. Yeah. All around the city in anticipation of this plan as one part of it. So when they finally have the, the bomb and it's been made nuclear or whatever, they would just blow up all these important strategic points, including another stupid cop decision that happens. Well, well, the, the thing is, we will say that these cop decisions are consistently I guess. the, the go-to move of Commissioner Gordon, even before he was Commissioner. You were talking about the ba Batman Begins. Yes. There's trouble in an island that's isolated from the main city, and he sends pretty much the entire police force to deal with this criminal, and they all end up hallucinating. So, being consistent with that, Commissioner Newbane was in the sewers, and he goes to his familiar, his, his bread and butter plan, send every coffin to the sewers. Well, Commissioner Gordon, who's played by Gary Oldman in this movie, has always been a fan of the all-or-nothing approach with his um, man force is that a word <laughs> he likes sending them all in so uh, as an example uh, gary oldman from the 1994 movie leon the professional take it gary i told you Benny. bring me everyone what do you mean everyone So yeah, he's a he's a very much an all or nothing man. Yes. And so yeah, so the next leap of faith in this plan. The next leap of faith is Bane somehow knew the commissioner was going to do that. Send all the cops into the sewers and he blows all the entrances to it. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> traps every single cop except for like a few dozen, was it, that didn't get sent in. Yeah. And he traps them in the sewers. Yeah. So and he takes over the city. He takes over the and city. And he blows up the mayor too. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, so here's the here's the thing that he does. He somehow they've been working him and his evil henchmen who we don't know anything about really. No. Yeah. So they all we know is that they are they're just fanatically loyal. Yeah. And they with they're willing to lay down their lives for him and his cause. We don't know why. They just keep telling us that Bane has a bunch of mercenaries. This crew of mercenaries, over what must have been many months, coordinate this massive undertaking of blowing up all these points across the city at the same time. And all about police noticing, all about security people noticing. So now they have the city under control. And so, yeah, they lie to the city to... Right. So there's no real despair without hope, as yes. Bane says. So he wants to give people hope that they have a chance. And all of this is an elaborate plan that's just to torture batman yes yeah and all for revenge it is revealed at the end but not even bane's revenge not even <laughs> bane's revenge so so bruce wayne does do as i guess the villains predicted and gives control of the clean energy project to miranda tate 
they make love and they, they talk about their shared tough upbringings where it's kind of hinted that she might be more than what she appears to be. Kind of one of those things where it makes sense looking back in retrospect. And in a key pivotal moment when she, it seems like she's been on his side this whole time, she betrays him. This is the part when she stabs him? Yeah. She yeah. betrayed him before. No, that's when she first. Yeah. she bet- Well, she's been betraying him the whole time, but she yeah, reveals she her betrayal. It. And it turns out that she's the daughter of Ra- Russell Ghoul. She was mad at Batman for killing her father. Mm-hmm. And she never got a chance to say goodbye to him. She says something like that. So this whole plan was done for revenge. It's unclear if she truly believes in what her father was doing or she just did it because she liked him it's kind of like oh my dad always wanted to have his ashes thrown over this (laughs) (laughs) this over this river so i'm gonna do it yeah yeah who knows if it's something she really wanted it's kind of just like a leap uh, like an assumption that we're supposed to make as an audience i guess and bane who has seemed to be the villain the whole time he is the villain but he's actually just helping talia because he loves her. That's that's all that appears to be the case. I don't know. Like, would you say it's a romantic love? Is I it don't a... know, honestly. I feel like maybe it was he felt sympathy or pity for her because she was born in the prison with him. Actually, now that you mentioned, there is a line where it's, it says something about how he convinced the other prisoners that her innocence was their redemption. Yeah. Again, it's just like line. a throw a throwaway line <laughs> yeah. mentioned at some point that's supposed to completely explore. This is what I mean. Like if you actually had more time, you could explore you can flesh them out. Yeah, yeah, you can you can do them justice. That kind of takes me to the second fix that I really wanted to talk about with this movie and I th- I think you agree with me on this as well is that the villains just have this really simplistic motivation for doing what what they're doing. So Talia's is just revenge and bane is doing it for love and you could argue that well a lot of our motivations sometimes come down to just these core powerful emotions but the thing is what they represent is something that's actually very complex and nuanced and grounded in our real world so it's the battle of the haves and the have-nots because society in gotham we've seen in the three movies is broken the rich are too powerful they control everything and a lot of people are downtrodden and crime is rampant and things aren't working and there's just decadence and corruption and that's the reason why Russell Gould the villain in the first movie wanted to destroy the city in the first place here it is again where these problems aren't going away we kind of catch glimpses of the people who don't have anything in the city so the orphans who've aged out because uh, Bruce Wayne isn't donating money to the orphanages in the city anymore and so they're just getting involved in this crime and so there's all this neglect And I just felt that when you just have these villains be the representation of these themes, especially in our world where there is massive income inequality, there there is massive injustice, to have it just boil down to, oh, they want revenge. Yeah. And they just want to blow it all apart. It just delegitimizes and neuters these very real, tangibly real and powerful ideas that they're fighting for yeah i completely agree actually the more i thought about it like the message that was kind of being conveyed or what i picked up on was it felt really anti-reformist and it was weird because they spent the first half of the movie and like you mentioned the other two movies, previous the movies. previous movies talking about how corrupt the system is how corrupt the politicians, how terrible it is, and how people are being stepped on, all that. And so you kind of start out sympathizing with them. But then when Bane comes in and claims to be giving the city back to the people and anarchy and chaos ensues... But he's so blatantly lying, too. Yes. They're almost telling us... There's even a scene where Catwoman Selina Kyle is hanging out with one of her friends while the anarchy's going on, and she looks worried about what's going on outside... Oh, because rich people are being torn from their homes and just yes. being beaten and probably killed and robbed. and Yes, so she's looking concerned about that. And her friend has this line where she says, oh, but this is what you wanted. Which is either a misunderstanding of what the downtrodden people want, or they're just flat out saying, well, if you don't like how it was, is this better? It kind of bothered me, honestly. Yeah. I didn't like that. Well, because... It kind of gives off this mentality that if you aren't one of the well-to-do people who has privileges in life, then all you want to do is just kind of blow it all up and tear the system down and just have chaos. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I do think that that undercurrent of anger is something that is real and that we can see in our in our world For today. Sure. Just look at the riots yeah. that's happening in the U.S. right now. But that isn't just it. What people want is social justice, economic justice. They want equity. They want a good life. 
for their families, for their children, for the future. They don't want to just blow it all up. Yeah, they and, want meaningful reform, but the movie shows them as just wanting chaos, just wanting to... Yeah. Just boils it down to, like you said, revenge. Yeah, because who who are they in in the first place? So we have the criminals who are just reveling in the damage and chaos, and you have the main villains, and then you have the the mercenaries who are just thugs who don't have lines really, and just are kind of drones who do Bane's bidding. And what about all the people who are kind of caught in the middle of this, who aren't rich and who aren't poor? Where do they stand in this big movie when the city gets taken over by Bane? You don't see anybody. Yeah, you barely... You just yeah. stay with the primary character, so you don't know what's really going on. If I was to give this movie a bit of a break, I would say that Selena Kyle Catwoman is supposed to represent the underclass that kind of sees that this way is not the right way. But what is the middle ground that the movie is suggesting? I don't know if it's just the middle ground. It just returns no. to the status quo. It really does. Like, what is the thing that changes? So what changes, you could argue, is that Bruce Wayne restores his faith in people doing the right thing and hopes for the best. But what tangible differences do we really see? The movie ends because how long, how much longer can this movie be? Yeah. It doesn't offer solutions. It doesn't offer middle ground. All you're left with is the bad guys were beaten. And so the things that the bad guys were representing was clearly wrong. Wrong. Yeah. And again, even the solution they they give us is, okay, Bruce Wayne is, or Wayne Enterprises is able to donate to orphanages again. So again, we're just kind of crutching on the super wealthy. Yeah, charity. Just leaning on charity instead of actually having true reform. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that, that's not great. If you look at it that way, it really is the movie that comes from the mindset of an elitist person, like elitist system, elitist filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they really did want to ground the movie in real issues. I think Occupy Wall Street and all that was like a, was something that was in the news often in those years, like around 2012. And I mean, social unrest has been a big thing for a long time, particularly in, in the U.S., they did that, but then they didn't ground it in the reality, gave it the justice that it deserved. Yeah. And so as a fix here, I would suggest making the making the motivations of the villains more nuanced. Have it be revenge and have it be love and all that. Sure, because these are powerful and true emotions that guide us. But have it be about more than that. Spend more time with the villains. Let's see what the lives of these people were like instead of just having these quick flashbacks that last, I don't know, seconds here, seconds there. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and that's something they could possibly have achieved with uh, a second movie. Oh, so I'm starting to sway you. <laughs> yeah, no, you. I never disagreed with that. My problem is, of course, my cynicism. Um, <laughs> that's where it's coming from. I've just never seen it actually work in practice. I know, and and to be honest, I don't even. It's sad to say, but I don't even trust Christopher Nolan to do a movie justice anymore. No, I've been burned too many times. Tercellar, Dunkirk. I haven't even seen the new movie he, that he has out, Tenet. I've heard some bad things about. Well, it's just well, it's probably just going to be like a a worse Inception where we'll have the spectacle and we'll have some cool visuals, but then no character development. I mean, I I can say that without even seeing a Christopher Nolan movie at this point, which is really disappointing. Well, this is, I think, a good opportunity to just kind of talk about another thing that I would say is a recurring problem in Christopher Nolan movies and a big problem in this movie is just the dialogue. Oh, yeah. So this is the thing. Clearly what Christopher Nolan wanted to do, and you could see it starting with The Dark Knight, was he wanted to ground his movie in a very real world that felt similar to ours. It's hard to reconcile that with just the way characters talk in this movie because characters are always talking to each other in this highly symbolic way where each one is supposed to represent a theme and they don't feel like well I'm a person and I have these struggles and I have this background and these are the issues I'm facing they're just I am the message of hope I am the message of betrayal I am the blah 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 and that's all they are like we talked about just as one example Daggett the greedy businessman on the board who tries to usurp Bruce Wayne He's there to be greedy Greed. businessman. I like money. And that is all I am. I, I, if I can just pull a little list of some of the dialogue, I remember seeing there's a discussion between, well, discussion. It's like the, the final moments of Daggett's life where, <laughs> yeah. he, where Bane, who has been using Daggett the whole time to just do his bidding, decides, I guess, it's time to finish Daggett off or get rid of him because he's used him up. And Daggett says, you're pure evil. And Bane says, do your impression. I'm necessary evil. That was pretty good. (laughs) That's how characters talk. Alfred really sets up Bane as the nemesis for Batman. 
uh, in the beginning of the movie where he says, you know, Bane has the power of belief. That's evil rising. And yeah, which he could somehow tell by watching him punch people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the, <laughs> the power of conviction. I, I can't yes. even remember what he says. There's other things like... So Selena Kyle, she's after this, so she wants to get a clean break, as we discussed. And the reason she steals the fingerprints is because she's been promised this clean slate program, which Daggett... I mean, the, there's a scene between the two of them where she's mad at him for not giving what she what he promised, which is this program, and he just explains what this program is to her yeah. in a way that's clearly meant for our benefit. He says, oh, clean the clean slate program? You mean the program that just erases the record of everything you've done? Sound too good to be true? Yeah. And it just feels like this is done for the audience and not organic to the story. There's ways of doing it that's more subtle. Other movies have done it. I'd say the salty also kind of left when the program's actually called Clean, clean slate. slate. Like you could pretty much assume what it's supposed to do. Yeah, well, that's the thing. These movies have to feel like the necessity to handhold you throughout yes, the whole yes. process. So throughout every step of the way, we're, we're being told what Gordon is thinking. He has this letter that basically confesses that Harvey Dent was a madman and the cover-up with Batman. And this thing becomes the theme of lying for the sake of the truth. And that builds into Robin, Robin's character, who is told by Gordon that you're going to face this time when the, the system's going to fail you and it's going to cage you, the rules will cage you, and then you'll wish that you had a friend like I did. That one was actually one of the better instances of that kind of dialogue. Yeah. But it just feels so shoehorned, as you said earlier, that, well, we want to have this moment where Robin realizes that he can't work within the system mm -hmm. and he has to be like Batman. And because that's what the plot wants. That's what the plot needs. Yeah. It was also fairly late in the movie. So you wait a while to get a good line, I would say. Yeah, for um, sure. And just kind of to expand a little bit more on some of the lines, the dialogue. So even in that scene where with Daggett and Bane, where Bane kills Daggett, all the lines before the your pure evil lines where Daggett just blurting out his motivations just yeah. outright. Yeah. To which, the to the henchman. His yeah, henchman. Definitely made for us to understand yeah. his motivations. You ever notice how a lot of the time these movies they tend to pair a primary character with a secondary character who's just someone to just dump dialogue on? Yeah. Like the the friend of Selena Kyle you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Alfred was a little bit of, of that. For too. Batman, yeah. yeah so for Batman. For so you we explored Batman's inner dialogue in this movie with just Alfred, who's barely in this movie, by the way. He's a, he has one of the most important roles in this movie of the emotional impact of seeing Bruce Wayne throwing away his life and mm -hmm. what is his life gonna be after this and his hope for him to just have a life beyond it. And he's there for like what, like a couple of scenes, a handful of scenes. Yeah, barely in. Yeah, and he's only—he's not there as a character in his own right. He's there to just elicit emotion from us to care about Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and it's—it's it's really, really sad to see. And the other example that comes to mind is Batman, Bruce Wayne. He goes to this prison where his back is broken, and he's being, you know, quote unquote, cared for by these two doctor people. Yeah, and everything they say is cliche. So you have the wise old man who doesn't speak English. He just speaks a foreign language, but then and he's turns blind out he, too. he's blind. <laughs> but then he turns out to be able to speak English the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. Like I, I actually copy down some of the dialogue where so, so the whole thing of this prison. And it's kind of a cool idea, is that it's just an open pit. But the thing is, you have to climb and jump your way out, and the jump is just too far to be normally made. So people can see freedom. They can see the open air. They just can't climb to reach it. Bruce Wayne, he... <laughs> so he recovers pretty... That's This is one of the plot holes where he recovers pretty quickly. Almost instantly. From the, the broken back. Within two scenes. I, I think <laughs> the the first step in his recovery was one of his captors who, slash doctors literally punches the broken vertebrae yes, back into place. Pushes it back in there. So anyway, that aside... So he heals himself and he's building back his fitness so he can make this jump and he just can't do it over and over again. That's when he's told by these old, wise, foreign, Middle Eastern men that the leap to freedom is not about strength. And Bruce Wayne says, my body makes the jump. And then he's told that survival is the spirit, the soul. And he says, my soul is as ready to escape as my body. And then he's told, fear is why you fail. And there's just so much dialogue in, in this where it's just, I get it. It's like, it has thematic 
significance. But spend some time with this freaking character in this prison. Let's get a sense of his life there. Let's get a sense of his struggle, not a scene here where he sees this bad thing happen in the city and then he's forgotten about for another 15 minutes and then let... <laughs> okay, meanwhile, in the prison, <laughs> Bruce Wayne is doing some more push-ups. Yeah. Pull-ups after breaking his back. Yeah. <laughs> and just to be a little nitpicky here, okay. uh, some things I didn't like about or... I don't know, just nitpicking, is these guys are basically paid to keep him alive so he could watch Bane torture the city. Yeah, that's the key part of this plan. (laughs) Making Bruce Wayne suffer. Yes. And I don't understand why they suddenly became like his physiotherapists. They're like helping him on his journey to recover. They're regaling him with stories about Bane yeah, and yeah. all these There's legends. There's a lot of talk about this. There's Why are they old... doing this? Well, here's the thing. If you think about it, so they talk about how there's an old legend, but Bane is like, what, 40? Yeah. It's like <laughs> these a 20, 10-year-old legend. So there's this old legend from when I was in my middle age. Yeah. <laughs> Happened last Tuesday, actually. Yeah, but it sounds more dramatic when you call it an old legend. Yeah. So I guess I realize this is being nitpicky, but yeah, why? Why? I mean, I, I guess we we could argue that they were inspired by his hope. You could argue yeah. that it wasn't really made clear. To no, us, but so. it, again, we're repeating the same thing at this point where these themes are there, like the theme of hope. But the problem with hope is that you despair when your hope isn't fulfilled, but you need hope to, to, to live. With, yeah. yeah. And the thing is it's not served justice and it's so disappointing to see and a fix here for me would be look at your dialogue and try to ground it in more reality and where just let the context of the scenes and the plot drive the themes instead of just having the characters just talk in this way as if they're i don't know it just doesn't seem like they're real people and i get it it's a comic book movie and there's a lot of fantastical things that happen in it but if christopher nolan's going for this more grounded realistic world experience then start with the dialogue the funny thing is so he writes a lot of his movies with jonathan nolan his brother one of my favorite tv shows of the last few years is westworld which is on hbo it was co-created by jonathan nolan it has the same goddamn problem interesting ideas about what is identity and artificial intelligence and free will and what makes us who we are and then you have the most clunky moronic exposition dialogue where it's just Mm -hmm. being dumped on us and characters are talking to each other in a way in which they're not talking to each other really they're explaining things for us so we don't have to think movies can convey these ideas and these symbols of the stuff i was talking about earlier is like fear is why you fail and survival is the spirit bruce wayne isn't fearing death and he thinks this makes him strong but it makes him weak because fear is what drives you to want to survive you can have all that without it being fucking spelled out it's just so frustrating because it's insulting to the audience's intelligence really and it just takes you out of the experience yeah i completely agree cut cut that dialogue out trust in your actors and trust in your story to convey these trust in your audience to understand too and to be intelligent enough to grasp the from salty and i think actually that's a common plague nowadays movies and shows just really dumbed down really on the nose dialogue and i i'm guessing they do it to get the wide appeal and because they don't trust their audience to to be smart enough to figure it yeah out. it's a it's a shame it's really a shame and there's so many examples of movies that do it really well that christian bale has been in just i can think of one example is like the machinist where you're a fan of that i assume yes yeah so machinist is a very simple story it's about guilt and redemption and there's very sparse dialogue and you're really left to kind of figure out things on your own in it and so okay sure it's not an action movie but it conveys all these themes and ideas without having to spell everything out for you and without just having characters speaking in these unbelievable ways that that don't feel grounded in reality the potential is there it's just seems like the desire to do it is not or because it's easier to just not do it is what my conclusion must be yeah i feel like it's easier now to focus on the spectacle pieces than to improve dialogue and we do see that a lot in my opinion in a lot of modern shows contemporary shows and movies game of thrones comes to mind oh yeah the decline of its dialogue once it departed from the origin material is very blatant and clear it's it's glaring and it focuses more on the spectacle at the cost of quality but i think maybe that's just because a majority of the audience might not care about dialogue I think that might be it. They care more about the spectacle. 
it, it's it's hard to say because I think with movies in particular, they realize that they're competing with, you know, Netflix and all kinds of other forms of entertainment now. So one of the few things a big cinematic experience can have is spectacle. So they feel like this is the only way we can get people in theaters. There, there might be some truth to that in a sense, but I don't see why the spectacle has to come at the expense of the other things. You can have both. I know, I agree, but that's what's been happening. So yeah. it must be happening for a reason. Can only yeah, we're, well, we're guess. not in the boardroom, so we can only guess. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of big spectacles, let's jump to the ending of the movie now. The final part of the plan is that this clean energy fusion thing has been turned into a nuclear bomb and it's being moved around the city by the by Bane so that it can't be detected because you can detect radiation and it's been removed from its power source or something so it's, it's like stabilizer yeah so it's unstable and it's decaying and it's going to inevitably explode so the whole thing that's happening now is that Bruce Wayne is trying to get back to the city so he can stop the bomb from going off and that's what Gordon and the, the handful of police that aren't trapped underground are trying to do as well so it all comes down to this one day so basically this bomb is going to destroy the whole city and are the villains going to prevail uh, i mean we all know what's going to happen but i mean it just felt so disappointing that this is what it all had to lead up to i get it you want the stakes now to be the entire city is at peril and just to compare to how the dark knight ended so you had that very interesting ethical dilemma of what the joker basically does is he has these two fairies they both have the capability of blowing up the other boat and if neither of them decide to do that both of the boats blow up. And here's the interesting thing. One is filled with convicts and one is filled with normal civilians. The Joker's plan is that they're all going to die and kill each other. They'll want to kill each other because humans are inherently selfish or whatever. And they end up not following what he thought would happen. So humanity is redeemed. So it's a very interesting conclusion. A lot of insights into like this kind of battle that the Joker and Batman are having on what people are like and what is worth saving in this world. And it's so disappointing that they decide to end this movie on big villain wants revenge, wants to blow up city wants to make city go boom boom nitpicky thing here too is i never understood how there was a ticking time bomb in the scenario of can you count down to the exact second when a decaying nuclear device will finally just explode meltdown yeah will meltdown well bruce wayne he i guess he finds out through lucius fox who's morgan freeman he's kind of like q to Batman in these movies, you find out from him that the bomb's supposed to go off in the city. But how's he? How does he know? It isn't really explained. But what doesn't matter because the plot needs there to be a, a countdown, time limit. Yeah. yeah, a time limit, and it's all built to this one day. This is a tough fix because I can't think of a better ending per se. Because what they wanted to do is have Batman make that ultimate sacrifice of killing himself, taking the bomb away from the city to protect the city. I just feel like maybe there was a way of doing that without having to have the high stakes of the whole city being at peril. Well, having it be a bomb these are the supposedly best creative minds that we have and that's what the best they can come up with this is kind of being unfair because i can't think of anything better than that but there had to be something that could have been more interesting right yeah i'd like to think so i mean they managed to do it like you said with the dark knight they came up with an interesting end set piece that had more to say had had actually something to say other than as you put it, make the city go boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there must have been something. Maybe they just got lazy or they couldn't find a way to fit it in with their themes, which is yeah. a theme That's of the this movie. <laughs> they wanted the movie to end this way. They they liked, I think what must have happened was, the setup was Alfred tells Bruce Wayne that I have this fantasy where I'm just in Italy and I sit down in this coffee shop and then I see you there. And you're just with this woman and you're happy and you've left all this behind. You've left Gotham behind because there's only pain for you there. And we don't say anything to each other and then we just go our separate ways and I know you made it. Clearly the idea was we want that to happen in the end and we want to trick people, the the viewer, into thinking that he sacrificed himself. Yeah. And they set that up with... So he takes the bomb away from the city in the end with the flying bat. The bat. The bat. And... They set up this thing throughout that the autopilot doesn't work. Did you have a chance to fix the autopilot, Bruce? Uh, No, but I'll get around to it or something like that. And they did that also. We could have that twist moment of, oh, he did fix the autopilot. Yeah. So he did survive. It's a happy ending in the end for him. He gets his freedom from being the symbol of Batman. He has other people to do the work for him or to continue the good work. Yeah. And he gets his life. Blake. Robin. Yeah. Yeah. The movie ends with him basically ascending. Yeah. He's the new Dark Knight. Yeah, the new protector. So they were so committed to that that, well, we just have to have it be a bomb. 
or else it doesn't work. I think that if you have a creative project, you shouldn't be so committed to having something beginning or ending in a certain way. You should have it be more organic to what you would say is true to the characters. Yes. And just an added note, actually, now that I think about it, their whole thing with Harvey Dent or the lies coming back to cause trouble. By us talking now, I realize that Batman basically ended it with another lie. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He kind of did. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this one's less harmful, but still a lie. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of ironic. I it guess. is ironic. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's really an emotional roller coaster. And I have to admit that I did feel emotionally moved by that end. And a lot of it is done by the music. The soundtrack is really great in all of these Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Hans Zimmer, I think, is the composer. And. It does have its moments where you really connect with the characters here and there and you just get kind of swept by the spectacle. It's just a shame that a lot of the movie doesn't do those themes justice. And if we want to move to final judgments, so yeah, you, you can go first. Is this movie, The Dark Knight Rises, is it fixable, fine just as it is, or damaged beyond repair? I did agree with a lot of your fixes. My opinion is that there's just too many. They're too big. I think it's not fixable. It's doomed to be what it is. But that being said, I know I just spent a lot of time crafting on this movie, but I actually enjoyed it. We talked about the themes that I liked. There's some fight scenes that were good. There were some that were bad. Uh, The main one with Bane, the first one, where Batman gets his ass handed to him. I actually really like that scene. There was some cool stuff in there. Some of the other fights, some of the choreography is just brutal. Like people getting knocked over without being touched. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of those. I think it's just one of these those movies you kind of have to accept it for what it is. Try not to think about it too much. Much like your much beloved sex drive. A little bit better than, than <laughs> that. <laughs> but the same concept, yes. You, you just accept what it is. Try not to think about it too much, which the movie does do a good job of, of distracting you, I'll say. But no, I think the problems are too many. There are a lot of small problems, nitpicky ones that we didn't really get into. Oh, there there's are, only so much time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of major ones, but no, I, I do not think it's fixable. I'd like to be the optimist here a little bit and say it could have been fixable in kind of this ideal way if they I like my idea of making it into two movies and just I guess having them dedicate more care to the characters and and the scenarios that they put them in could have been two pretty great movies if you because the bones are there the ideas and themes are there you just need a better storyline better dialogue more fleshed out characters and it could have been but don't something you think greater. that's a lot to have to fix it is i didn't say it was it would be an easy fix but i think it, it would have been doable if we just had a hollywood system that was a bit more patient and that had a focus more on what i would say is the key to a good movie which is characters and story themes do work on people I know I keep on harping on the Star Wars movies, but there's interesting themes in those more recent ones, but they... They misuse them. They misuse them. That's what's disappointing thing for me. You could accept this movie as it is, but it had the potential to be something so much more powerful and impactful, and you can see it there. It's like, it's there in front of you, and you can get tantalizing glimpses of it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And you want to like it because of that, but... (sighs) But yeah, we can agree to disagree on this one. Okay, all right, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to just share some recommendations for things we've been watching lately. Anis, anything you've been seeing lately that you'd recommend? Yes. So I've been watching, or I finished watching a show on Netflix called Mindhunter. It's only about two seasons. I think it's being renewed for a third. But it's a show that's basically about a behavioral sciences unit in the FBI in the 70s when they first start to identify serial killers. Oh, and they coined the term serial killer. It's a it's a really great show. Any famous names of serial killers? What's his name? There's, John Wayne Gacy? There's no Gacy. There's they they do meet with Manson. Ed Kemper. I don't know if he's famous enough. Mm-hmm. He did some really messed up stuff. But yeah, other than Manson, Manson's probably the biggest one. Is it like kind of like a procedural? Kind of like Law and Order? Or is it more of a... There's one storyline that's kind of going from beginning to end of the season it's season. it's one major thing okay. through the season and yeah so the point of the unit is they try to understand them so they'll be able to predict future indicators of serial killers okay. be able to find them but yeah just a series of really intense interviews with the serial killers i think it's directed or produced by david fincher oh if okay that helps oh that definitely <laughs> helps oh yeah I, i'll definitely check it out i'm a big fan of fincher 
And I don't really have anything that I would enthusiastically recommend this time. I would give a solid thumbs up to, also on Netflix, uh, Guy Ritchie's latest film, The Gentleman. If uh, you're a fan of Guy Ritchie's older work, uh, Snatch is probably his most famous movie. He's also done movies like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, more recently, he's done the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. And he randomly did Aladdin, the new live-action yeah. Aladdin movie. He did the King Arthur. That that one was okay. I didn't mind that was one that it? much. Eh, it wasn't great, but it wasn't too bad. Anyway, this one is for the fans of the older Guy Ritchie movies. So very British. It's all crime-driven. And it just had a unique spin to how it told its story. A lot of it is kind of framed by this conversation between a man who's blackmailing another man. I really enjoyed it for what it was. It wasn't trying to be too clever, but it was engaging. And it really was one of those movies that you just kind of get caught up in the storyline. And that's all you can really ask sometimes. And yeah, so I would recommend that for anyone who kind of likes crime drama comedy. So it has a little bit of that action, has a little bit of that drama, and has a little bit of that comedy. Yeah, I would second that. It's a fun, engaging crime flick. Yeah, classic Guy Ritchie. Yeah, yeah, you saw it based on my recommendation, right? Yeah. Actually, I've you've seen, seen it twice. twice. Yeah. Yes. And you said it got better the second time. Second time was better, yeah. Very as, interesting. As I've only seen case. it the once. Yeah, okay. And I would mention a great performance by Colin Farrell. Oh, yeah. Pretty, Definitely. Pretty funny. <laughs> pretty oh, yeah. funny in that Hilarious movie. character. Yeah. So that's our episode, The Dark Knight Rises, mixed on whoever can fix it or not. Thank you so much for listening to Fix This Flick. I'm your host, Lee. I'm Anise. Yeah, we're hoping we can have you again as a guest host in the future. I think this one went pretty well. And thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon. Now you have my permission to die. On that note, bye! <laughs> no, no, it was good, it was good.